This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Alright, good morning, good morning. Coach Hall here in the Coach Hall locker room. My golly, I'm looking at myself. A little razor slipped right there. I may have to doctor that during the show, Tad. Let me reach over here. Make sure I got that under control. And uh, it's a Monday. It's a Monday before the 4th of July, by golly. And we got Coach Hogg's locker room here. And uh, I think we're playing a little something about Coach Hogg now. I can't hear it because I'm over here talking to myself. But anyway. Florida Gators, protected 24-7-365 by crime prevention. And sponsored by all the great sponsors you see scrolling around now and then on our screen. On the spot cleaners, great, patronize them, great people. Really good people. They get your stuff done. I'm sorry. I apologize. I apologize here. But we'll keep it under control. Um, there's a lot of things to talk about right now in the, in the athletic world. Um, the biggest one. Coach Hobbs um, locker room. And it's going to take over the airways, rightfully so, is the, uh, Wimbledon Tennis Tournament. I'm going to spend a little time on that with you so that you kind of know what, how come this is a big deal, even if you're not a tennis player. Um, Wimbledon is the gold standard for the sport of tennis. And uh, the reason is it has the decorum of royalty the high standards of royalty. The whole concept of uh, of that, of course, is antithetical to the democratic world where everybody is equal. You can see what kind of trouble that gets us into. Uh, people have taken that and run with it, this concept of everything being equal, and um, really missed the point. Um, it's antithetical to the aristocratic point of view, and that is that everything is meritocracy. And you compete, and you excel, and you earn your keep, and you do well. And um, that becomes something you're proud of, that you weren't given, and that you worked hard at. The two people in the tennis world who are the epitome of all that this embodies, who are still alive today, are Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova. Now, Chris Everett is now 68, and Martina Navratilova is 66. And for over 50 years, they have known each other, both on and off the court. And 
at some point in their tennis lives, when they were playing each other, they nevertheless dressed side by side in the locker rooms, sometimes ate together in the facilities, entered the arenas together, and then got into a war on the tennis court. Today, I don't know if you notice this, how many males and females hit with both hands on the back end. Before Chris Everett, that was unheard of. Chris Everett's father, who coached her in Fort Lauderdale, had her put two hands on that racket because she was a female and was weak and could get more power, he reasoned, if she had two hands, rather than what everybody else was using was one. And in so doing, started a, it wasn't a fad, um, a style of play that got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Chris Everett is responsible for the two-handed backhand. Martina Navratilova played a different style of different style of tennis completely, used a one-handed backhand and a serve and volley game, while Chris stayed back at the baseline and played a game that depended upon accuracy rather than speed rushing the net and power. These two became the flagship. They first met in 1973 as teenagers. Each rose to the world number one. They played each other. Are you ready for this? 80 times, 60 of those 80 times in finals. And after a 15-year rivalry, each has 18 Grand Slam victories. Now, that is amazing in and of itself. Would you not agree? A fantastic sports resume. Not just for individuals, but for women especially. Um, Everett and Navratilova Retired from singles play in 1989 and 1994. Uh, I think Everett retired first. Um, now, as retirees, they have lived as neighbors in Aspen, Colorado, and in Florida, and have maintained a friendship ever ever since. 
each has had cancer. And each has relied on the other, <clears throat> dependent on the other, for emotional support during the treatment each received for cancer. Um, it really is a remarkable, remarkable story. You cannot tell the story of Wimbledon without telling the story of Martina Vlatilova and Chris Everett, who are still alive and are announcing now at Wimbledon, along with John McEnroe and other former greats. So I'm just going through an article right now that's extensive, that's written in the Washington Post. And you have to, I, you know, I go back to when these guys were kids, believe it or not. And Martina, in order to beat Chris, had to get in shape. And initially, she was a little overweight. She'd come in from Czechoslovakia. And Renee Richards, who was the first, <clears throat> had been a man, became a woman, played on the WTA, coached her, Martina, into physical fitness. I knew Renee Richards. And Renee Richards was a taskmaster. And if it had not been, this is a story you don't read many places. But if it had not been for Renee Richards, Martina might not have ever gotten in shape, real shape, changing her diet, changing her exercise routine, relying on more than just her talent to take on Chris Everett competitively and be on equal footing or maybe even better on certain days. The significance of this is uh, not lost on those of us who have been around this sport for quite a while. And now we are looking at a Wimbledon. And, you know, we've tried to keep politics out of this sport. We've tried to keep the decorum and a high standard of dress and manners on the court. But now there's an issue that is unfortunate that has to do with the Russian players and the Belarus players. And there are many good players from Belarus and Russia. And that has caused a little bit of a problem. Uh, Mendeleev, who is from Russia, who has been a tennis star, has been number one, is getting booed at Wimbledon. And this is not good. Uh, he was banned this is coming from a UK publication. He was banned at last year's championships because of the All England Club, where Wimbledon takes place, but a ban on Russian and Belarus players. 
because of Ukraine. You know, I'm not really for punishing the athletes for the behavior of their government. Jimmy Carter did that, I believe in 1980, when he wouldn't let our Olympic track team go to the Olympics because of Russia and Afghanistan, as I remember it. So now Wimbledon, the All England Club, as, is allowing Russians and Belarusians to compete again. But they have banned the flags of those countries. <clears throat> And they have banned the Russian media. Uh, There you go. Tennis is truly an international sport. Players come from all over the world. How big are the Wimbledon draws, for example? The men and women's single draws each consist of 128 players. They're spread over eight brackets of 16 players each. They earn a berth in this field via qualifying matches held the week before the main tournament. The top 32 players are based on their world rankings and placed in the brackets so that the best players ideally will not meet each other until toward the end of the tournament. Carlos Alcaraz is 20 years old. He's from Spain. But this is the first tournament in 25 years that will not have Roger Federer or Nadal. Rafa Nadal. Roger has retired. And Nadal is injured and no doubt will retire. Now, the issue of Mendeleev, at least he'll be on the court. He'll be competing, as will um, some of the other players. Sabalanka. And that should be Interesting because we don't know how the fans are going to react. Djokovic from Serbia is the favorite. Serbia is interesting because originally it was Yugoslavia, if I recall correctly. The women's favorite is from Poland. So you really have a true international field. What keeps this all together is decorum and manners and high standards of behavior. And we'll see if Russia has a negative impact on that through its players being responded to. Hope not. As we say, the Russian and Belarus players were banned in 2022. Now, the winners of this tournament, the winners of the men's and singles tournament, women's singles, 
received $3 million. While the loser receives $1.5 million. So it's a pretty doggone lucrative tournament. And obviously it is, I say, the gold standard of decorum. Um, the world of sports is uh, kind of odd when you think of this contrasting story in Coach Hogg's locker room. And the Gainesville Sunset did a pretty good job of writing about this. The 4th of July hot dog competition. Joey Chestnut, keep that name in your memory. Joey Chestnut. He is favored to win the annual Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest on the 4th of July tomorrow for the 16th time. And he has made money off of this. Last year, he told this to USA Today Sports, he earned more than half a million dollars. And his net worth exceeds four million. He has Joey Chestnut LLC, and he's represented by Everest Talent Management. And he says, I had no idea it would ever go this far. Where does this money come from? Well, contest earnings. Paid appearances, endorsement deals. I don't know how the guy does it. He's eaten as many as 76 hot dogs and buns during Nathan's 10-minute contest. No other competitor has eaten more than 64 and a half. I think the half is interesting. He's dominated the hot dog eating contest since 2007. In 2010, he left his job with a construction management company in Northern California, according to Josh Peter in USA Today, and became, I didn't know there was such a thing, a full-time competitive eater. A full-time competitive eater. By 2010, he had won the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest three times. Yet he was still working construction. Then he got an offer. This is funny. From Pepto-Pismol. I'll bet he did. The company wanted him to promote and participate in four competitive eating contests and would pay him $10,000 for each event. They told the company, Pepto-Bismol, 
The problem was he'd have to miss several days of work. <clears throat> but he ran it by his boss, and the guy said, why don't you just take a month off? And that got him going with Pepto-Bismol. Wow. Then, Procter & Gamble, the parent company of Pepto-Bismol, wanted to get involved. So here he is uh, making a ton of money off of eating hot dogs. Can you believe it? He travels about 150 days a year for contests and appearances. He has been in a burrito eating contest where he ate 14 and a half burritos in 10 minutes. He's also devoured a half a dozen Coney Highland hot dogs in 60 seconds during a Detroit Pistons game. And he once ate 17 and a half pounds of cherry pie. God, mighty nose. So meanwhile, he's being hired by Chicken Fingers, Pistachios, Pepsi, all kinds of people who want this guy peddling their wares. Um, go figure. Go figure. I put that on the heels of the Wimbledon tennis commentary to show that there's a place for anybody and everybody, I guess, who's got talent and a strong stomach. If you don't have a strong stomach, Pepto-Bismol has got you covered. Uh, <clears throat> got to close out here on Coach Hall's uh, locker room. Emmett Smith is, uh, as you know, former Gator. He left the Gators, did not play his senior year. Um, went to the Dallas Cowboys. And the rest is history. But this week uh, is the 20th anniversary of Dallas Cowboys' Emmett Smith breaking Walter Payton's all-time rushing record of 16,726 yards. And, and Smith went on and played for two and a half seasons more, and he wound up with 18,000 355 rushing yards. <clears throat> this is considered to be a milestone. Think of this now. That's unlikely to ever be broken. For one thing, Emmett Smith rushed for 1,000-yard seasons like clockwork, basically forever. But the NFL also has changed quite a bit since then. The offense is now focusing more on the passers and not as much on the running backs. Um, the closest, the closest one to Smith probably was Adrian Peterson, uh, 14,918 yards. Um, so there you are. I mean, it is pretty interesting that that record of Emmett Smith, and boy, that takes into account a lot of great running backs. Jim Brown, of course, he only played 10. 
and the seasons uh, had fewer games. I still think Jim Brown's the greatest ever. Uh, of course, in receiving, the record is held by Jerry Rice with 22,895 yards, um, which is very interesting. That doesn't seem to be, even with today's receivers and emphasis on passing, something that you'll see uh, broken. Um, in basketball, no player has ever come close to Wilt Chamberlain's 100-point game. And uh, it's not even um, something that's in the, in, the, in, the, in the clouds, so to speak. Um, in baseball, Cal Ripken, and I don't think this will ever be broken, 2,632 consecutive games played. And Simone Biles, 19 World Gymnastics gold medals. Women's basketball, collegiate, Yukon Huskies have a 111-game winning streak. How about stolen bases? Ricky Henderson stole 1,406 bases. And if someone were stealing 78 bases a year, they'd have to keep that up for 18 seasons to break Henderson's record. Michael Phelps, swimming, 28 Olympic medals. I thought that was kind of interesting. But Emmett Smith, right here, the Gators. And the amazing thing about him is he came out of the doggone sport pretty intact. Not banged up too much. So that is really amazing when you think about it. So that's Coach Hogg's locker room for today. Um, we'll be taking a, a break here for the weather in a moment and come back and, and talk about a couple of local issues that are most interesting that you may not even know about. We're going to take a break for the weather and be right back. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are 
Lewis Oil Company. Shoot GTR, on-the-spot dry cleaners, R&R construction, and style cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Welcome back to Ward Scott Files here. We're going to do Ward's weather. And I can just tell you one thing right now, brought to you by Lewis Oil. Um, ah, one word sums it up. And I'm looking for this program here that I find it kind of incredible. Uh, the White House is planning something that reads uh, like something out of a space magazine, uh, deflecting the sun's rays to influence I don't know, global warming, climate change. But on a day like this, I guess you'd have to go along with the idea that uh, we're all for it because uh, the sun's rays right now are pretty much having their way. However, too, we have for the next three nights a magnificent moon that you need to take a look at. It's the super moon. It is the first super moon, and we saw it here uh, last night. It is a uh, stargazing event. You need to take it very clear last night. Um, it's uh, it's uh, see if I can get the evidence of it. It's very orange. And it's the features for this year features four super moons, each appearing slightly bigger and brighter than other full moons throughout the year. Um, and this will be the full moon coinciding with the time that the moon is closest to the Earth. Um, very interesting. It is also known as the Thunder Moon. It's a nickname related to the frequent storms that are often often going on in North America throughout July. Uh, it's also called the Buck Moon, the Berry Moon, the Salmon Moon, and the Halfway Summer Moon. Um, very interesting. Looked at it last night. You take a look at it tonight if you haven't seen it. It's going to be significant out there. Um, um, and, and, and you'll, um, you'll, you'll be kind of interested and awed by it. 
couple of local stories that perhaps you don't know about. <clears throat> do you recall, do you remember the incident with the SWAT team going to the Collier Real Estate Office? I know it's it's back there in ancient history, but it's there. And all the hoopla that went on with that. And the innocent people being taken out of the building and handcuffed and detained and all that. And do you recall that that whole investigation hinged on the payment by the boss hearts or the detective work necessary in their minds anyway, to retrieve the evidence of the so-called stolen files from the cloud. We have a telephone call recording of that. And you understand, of course, that by Riles and Grotos agreeing to settle their end of this. That all got swept under the rug. So we'll never know the full culpability or involvement of the state attorney and what it was in the state attorney's mind, Brian Kramer, that caused this to become a, from a civil case to a criminal case. Because what happens with these people, like Jason Hurst and Riles and Drotos, they get tired. They they get tired. The state attorney's got all kinds of time. These are civilian people going about their life. Their wives get tired. Their kids get tired. Their mothers get tired. And so they settle. And when they settle, nobody knows the real story. Because it never comes out in the courtroom. Under sworn testimony. So everybody was waiting for the Jason Hurst federal case. Civil rights case. His civil rights were Stepped on, were they not, he alleges? When he, not even involved in any of this, got dragged out and detained. And it went on and on and on through the grinding, execrable machinations of the judicial system. On and on and on. Occasionally, somebody would call me and ask me, well, where is that? What's the status of that? I said, well, you know, the liars are over there fighting about it. Well, what happens? 
And this has not been publicized very well. Jason Hurst, who is no longer around here, as I understand it, is in another state, decides to settle. Just wants it to go away. Decides to settle it. He's tired. And drag it on forever. So it's understandable, particularly if he'd moved out of the state, they didn't want to come back here, get dragged through all that you swear and this and that one and another. Just settle it and let me go my way. Which I can understand his motive for that. But for us, there went the truth. The truth is not going to make it out under sworn testimony to the public. Neither in the federal case nor in the criminal case. And you know what is so frustrating about this? None of it needed to happen. I know how it happened. I know who caused it. Oh, everybody got into it. Tina Big Mouth Certain got involved in it. The whole community dragged through it. It's over a simple matter of greed. So it's a local story. A local story with a lot of secrets that would be most interesting to know in the public about the only way I know you can do it now is go back to Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. We posted the documents. And you can we even post the phone call. And this is one of those stories that will pass from review, as we say in military school. Pass and review. This story will never pass in review. And only place I know you can go see the documents are on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. So I wanted to put that into the conversation for you to be mindful, since you, some of you have been asking me what is going on 
uh, with that case. And that case is now vanished from public view. Because one of the litigants has um, getting a vibrating Duval County Amber Alert on a kidnapped child. Just came across. Pass that along. Um, because the uh, those involved um, decided that they not. They were tired. They didn't want to be out there in the public eye anymore on this. And you can't blame them. Because the judicial system can be so ugly, so politically extorted. In Marion County, for example, I understand there's to be a gathering next weekend trying to push the state attorney into elevating the charges against the white woman who shot through the door and killed the black woman. And the facts of the case simply don't warrant raising the charges. And what always gets me about this is the mob is protesting that due process did not go their way. And yet, they were the victims of due process not going their way. If you take their position that blacks got the raw end of the deal in the judicial system, therefore, whites should get the raw end of the deal in the judicial system, which is basically what that argument's about. And you're no better than the thing you're protesting. You're no better than the thing you're protesting. I mean, that's basically it. And I'll be darned if the same thing, not only doesn't show up in Ocala, in Marion County, it shows up in the Oval Office. With Joe Biden. Right? I mean, come on. Let me just read this to you. You know this. Joe Biden was asked by a reporter about the Supreme Court decision or, you know, doing the right thing. 
and saying an affirmative action was discriminatory. And what does he call the Supreme Court? He says this is not a normal court. What is a normal court? A normal court, let me paraphrase, is one that does what you want it to do rather than what the law and the facts say do. I mean, it is incredible that a president would not be a leader. And if you want an example of this, Joe Biden's comment. Incredible. Meanwhile, we know Joe Biden is a card-carrying liar that he cheated his way through college. And I found this article about him. I believe it was on USA Today. He blasted, as we just said, the Supreme Court's decision ruling against affirmative action. But Biden himself has practiced preferential treatment. He contacted the University of Pennsylvania, the president of that school, in 2018 when his granddaughter applied to the school. This is according to the Washington Free Beacon. And at the behest of Hunter Biden, Maisie Biden's father, the then former vice president, that he was going to try to speak to the University of Pennsylvania president. And he used his influence to get his daughter, granddaughter, into the University of Pennsylvania. Who was ultimately admitted to Penn, graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree, Intervention on the part of the vice president. There you go. I tell you, it gets it gets you. It's more than passing strange. Now, if you want to see this thing laid out side by side, I have before me now. Justice Cantinja Brown-Jackson's, I guess that's how you say her name, scathing rebuke of the Supreme Court's decision to strike down affirmative action. And I have Justice Clarence Thomas' scathing rebuke of her rebuke. Now, the progressives hate, as you know, Clarence Thomas, because he thinks for himself. He's not in some herd mentality. This Justice Jackson, who's married to a white guy. Thomas is married to a white woman. Says that the rebuke of affirmative action 
is an impediment to racial progress. Now let's talk about that word progress. That is a very fashionable word that came out of the Industrial Revolution. GE used to use it. Progress at GE. Progress is our most important product. The problem with progress, by definition, is that it has no goal. Hence, it can never reach where it's going. You understand that? If you are progressing, it's the action, not the end result. You just keep progressing. And you can always say you're progressing. Well, how do you know when you got there? Since you have no goal by definition in progress. At GE, progress is our most important product. See, they... Every product was built in GE to be replaced by one better. There was never going to be a product that you stopped with because it was the best. You follow that, right? So the very way in which Jackson looks at the world is significantly flawed. Significantly flawed. And Thomas knows it. He knows it. Of the two people, he's by far the smarter. He says back to her that if you are arguing that this is an impediment to racial progress, you're denying the fact that blacks have reached levels of health and wealth and well-being that nowhere make the things from which they departed. But by endorsing progress, you're locking blacks into perpetual inferiority. Why? Because they'll never be able to get out of it. Because they can't get to where they're going because there's no place to get to. Thomas calls this a race-infused worldview. Well, that results in racism. In Jackson's view, racism is essential. It can never go away. It can never be eliminated. It has to be permanently part of the American scene. 
by definition. It's a most interesting comparison. Most interesting comparison and reveals a tremendous amount. A tremendous amount. How damaging is this? I don't know. It's pretty damaging. Thank you, Ray. It's pretty pretty damaging. Um, and the te- you know you can focus on Minneapolis. Minneapolis, get this, the Justice Department last week, according to the Wall Street Journal, told the Minneapolis Police Department that it was going to have to operate under a federal consent decree. The terms of which haven't been negotiated yet. A federal consent decree. What does that mean? Right now, police resignations in Minneapolis and retirements have shrunk the number of sworn officers by 35% since 2020. The city's 2023 budget contains funding for 731 officers. And the population of Minneapolis is 425,000. The department right now only has 571 officers. Minneapolis is now a much more dangerous city than it was just a few years ago. The number of homicides, 65% higher than 2019. The Justice Department is basing its decree, the journal says, on a flawed study. The Minneapolis police responded to more than a million calls for assistance from 2016 to 2022, but the federal officials could cite fewer than 20 specific instances of alleged misconduct. On the basis of that, the feds decided there was a racial disproportion in the police statistics and suggested discrimination. Unbelievable. In other words, the feds cherry-picked the facts. If you got the feds and you got the President of the United States and you got a Supreme Court justice black woman playing the race card, We're never going to get ourselves out of this mess. The cost of implementation and monitoring these agreements is exorbitant. Off the charts. 
And rather than the federal government step in and help reform police departments or somehow get involved in a positive way, it's uh, come in and had a negative impact. All these things go together. All these dots connect. When you're dealing with a guy like Biden and a person like that black Supreme Court justice lady who are out there refusing to let the race car die. It's, it's, it's just really kind of preposterous. It's It's amazing. But there it is. Meanwhile, reparations, California, we'll cover that. We've been covering it. Doesn't go away. How is it going? How's it going to go away with um, this kind of conversation going on in high places? It simply doesn't help. Ted Yoho says it all comes down to leadership or the lack thereof. I think I'm in the same camp on that. Very, very difficult. Imagine the opportunities in the Oval Office to say the right things to be a leader. And you come out and say, this is not a normal court. What is a normal court? Well, one, it gives you what you want when you want it. What else could it be? Thanks for tuning in today to the Ward Scott Files. Be safe on the holiday tomorrow. Warthog Command Center out.